I'm Kate Daniels. We are so much more than most of us realize, and we need to become more aware of aspects of ourselves that can only make us better and greater, tapping into our creativity. Dr. Ronald Alexander is a psychotherapist who works with a lot of creatives and shares these stories and all that we can learn from them in his new book, Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self. Dr. Ronald Alexander, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Oh, good morning. Well, I am intrigued, and I felt that this would be certainly true for many, and I would think most of, or all people, would be interested in knowing about creativity and how we tap into that in ourselves. Uh, Perhaps we've just felt always boxed in, or maybe we're just going through a a dry spell. And you, as I love this, a creativity and communications consultant, I feel really have tools and some insight for us. Yes. Um, Most people don't feel that they're creative at their work, um, and how they manage their family, and how they go about uh, their daily life. And one of the things that I suggest is that people need to take time to slow down and to sit uh, quietly. In my new book, I interviewed uh, 10 different uh, renowned uh, creatives. And for example, one of them, a fine artist painter from upstate New York, Ronnie Lansdale, I asked him, well, are there any kinds of rituals or um, procedures that you go through, particularly when you're feeling blocked or stuck or stagnated? And he said that each and every day he sits out in front of his uh, art studio, which is adjacent to his uh, ranch house in upstate New York, and he'll sit quietly with his cup of coffee, and he'll just to pay attention to his breathing and look up at the sky. And he says that in that period of quiet reverie, the painting begins to uh, reveal itself. It's almost like drilling for oil. Uh, As you sit more quietly, the images, the colors, the pictures, the forms, um, sometimes the new ideas begin to float up from what we call the uh, collective or the creative unconscious. Uh, The collective or creative unconscious. And this is something that is just part of all of us, true? Yes. um, Carl Jung was a a very renowned and famous uh, spiritual psychologist. He was a student of uh, Sigmund Freud's for uh, many years, Uh, as they were both studying neurology. And Carl Jung, at a very young age, four or five years old, in his very first book, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, he starts to report that he would pay attention to his dreams at night, and oftentimes they would have fairly prophetic or revelatory guiding directions. And later in life, he would encourage his patients to record their dreams and to sit quietly, to meditate, in particularly the creative patients who are blocked or stuck. And so we all have that 
direct pathway to tap in to our own creative unconscious. And I oftentimes say in, in my new book called Creativity, I write about that our unconscious uh, mind, which is very generative, it has a, an ability to organize, to sort, to clarify, to reveal, and to generate new ideas, new ways of going about doing things. Um, to the collective unconscious is also, it's rather user-friendly, like an Apple Mac computer, in that the more that you spend time engaging it, the more that it begins to talk back to you. If we all go back to that very first Apple computer um, commercial where um, Steve Jobs comes out on stage and, and there's a Mac um, in the screen behind and the computer starts to talk. And that captivated everyone's imagination and really was the very beginning of people becoming involved uh, with home computers. So daily and frequently engagement with your own unconscious and with your own quiet process is really essential. So this is a, a key part of of creativity, and and as you note that this is in your new book, Core Creativity. So talking ab- about dreams, I, th- I certainly have heard this through time in my life, but maybe not all of us are aware of it. So I think this is really critical to bring this to the forefront and let each of us know that that we have this within us and that we can very consciously um, interact with our unconscious. Yes. And since we dream, uh, every single person, every night, has many, many hours of dreams. Uh, The issue is we oftentimes wake up so quickly and we go about our daily life, and we don't take the time to record our dreams or to listen to our dreams or pay attention to our dreams. And many of the creatives that I've interviewed and worked with over the last 46 years in my psychotherapy and creativity uh, coaching practice here in uh, Los Angeles, many of the creatives come in uh, to my office with their dreams and their dream journals. And many of them have had full songs uh, written out in lyrics. Uh, a fascinating story um, in the Beatles lore is that the masterpiece of Paul McCartney's uh, The Song Yesterday is he actually uh, was asleep in his apartment in London with his girlfriend at the time. And he woke up in the middle of the night and he not only had the melody, but he had all the lyrics uh, to the song, and he had dreamt them, and he'd been encouraged to uh, record them and write them down uh, whenever he awoke from a dream. And so he got up the next morning, sat at the piano, and, and played uh, yesterday from beginning to end. And then he went about for the next month as if the song yesterday was some orphan, and he was uh, taking it to all of his musician friends and record producers in London and saying, is this yours? Um, do you know this? Um, do you want to adopt this? Until he f- fully realized that he had dreamed this incredible masterpiece. It had come out, out of his 
intuition at night during uh, his dream experience. So we, we all dream, and so then we all have a royal road directly into our unconscious. And as I said earlier, the unconscious is always up to something interesting. The unconscious has a, a certain creative and intuitive uh, format where one thing oftentimes follows another. And many writers and filmmakers I work with will report that sometimes they dream like a series they're writing for TV or uh, Netflix or Amazon. They'll have a series of dreams. And so sometimes you get pieces of the new work or the new idea or the new concept in a series of dreams. That is just so phenomenal. And I think I remember hearing something about Paul McCartney and yesterday, and there, he's such a musical genius. That's his gift and that's his life, but that's illustrative of what we can really tap into in our own life with whatever our particular gifts and talents are. Yes, and... One of the things that I encourage anybody that I work with, whether they're a gifted creative or they're an everyday, ordinary human being who wants to feel or wants to activate or become more engaged with their creativity, is I suggest that you never want to stay in your lane, which means you always, when you have the opportunity of doing things right, you should take the opportunity to choose to doing the right thing, which oftentimes means going left. And there's an old um, folklore tale, both Greek mythology and contemporary shamanism, that says that whenever you have an opportunity to make a creative choice, there's this uh, mythological image that there's the river of time and there's a bridge, and the river of time is really your creative unconscious, as well as your everyday existence, and that whenever you cross over the bridge, which means to move from the conscious, everyday, ordinary thinking into a more expansive and extraordinary and unusual way of thinking or feeling or creating, you always want to go left rather than to go right which is another symbolic way of saying, don't stay in your lane, never stay in your lane. For example, with parents that I work with, one parent came in one day and said, my um, son walks around uh, the house uh, talking on his imaginary uh, iPhone and find myself um, chastising him and reprimanding him. And I said to her, well, why did you try something uh, different? Ask him who he's talking to and how the conversation is going. And so she laughed, and she came back in the next week, and she said that after she had that conversation with him, he started to paint and draw his conversations. So you want to encourage children. You want to encourage yourself. Don't stay in in the lane. Step out of the lane. Move out of the box. Right. Yes, uh, that's a great way to really illustrate that for us, is to just 
think differently and instead of following what we think are the rules like don't do that question and see what it what is behind it and in this case with the child it just really opened up a huge like flood of uh, creativity yeah and i'm glad you used the word think differently because i was consulting once to a number of mid-level executives uh, at a leadership retreat up in Big Sur with some of the Apple um, mid-level executives. And one of them was telling a story uh, at one of our dinners and said that the way that the iPod was developed by Steve Jobs was that he would take his CDs whenever he would fly to Kyoto, Japan, or to the Kona Village Resort on the big island of Hawaii. And he would take along four, five, six different uh, portable CD players, and um, they were always lousy, they were always breaking. And that one day he thought differently. He looked down at the palm of his hand, and he thought of what would it be like to create or have a device where I could have not only a, a few CDs on it, I could have maybe like a thousand songs on my entire record collection. So the importance of thinking differently that then will lead you to feeling differently because creativity is also connected. All thought is very creative and generative. And there's an old philosophical statement that if you set your mind on what you want, you can then generate towards that direction. So thought is is creative, and creative thought oftentimes leads to profound new feelings, and feelings, when we're in the realm of creativity, can lead to invention and new imagination. And all of that, there's a way it feels rather simple and then so exciting. The simplicity is the appreciation that every single one of us, by sitting quietly, and I write about it in the book called Creativity, and I give a 10-week lesson plan at the back of the book so that, in essence, I come up with uh, the 20 to 40-minute hour of creative reflection where you take time anywhere from five minutes to 20 minutes and sit quietly, follow your breath, and just listen. And I have a open inquiry meditation where basically it says, first of all, sit and wait, and then wait in order to hear, and then hear in order to fully listen, and then listen in order to fully receive what is arising and what is inside of you that's really waiting. And oftentimes, when it comes to creativity, we're like ripe peaches, but we don't take the time to sit down and peel off the outside of the skin of the peach, which just means to open up uh, our awareness and our consciousness so that creativity can begin to flow out of us. 
And most creatives will tell you that in addition to sitting quietly, another thing that they do is they have a variety of rituals. And I would say from my interviews for the book that 70% of all of the creatives that I interviewed had a daily ritual where most of them woke up early in the morning and had their coffee and had their tea, which was part of their daily ritual. And they sat quietly for a period of time. Some formally referred to it as meditation or uh, contemplative prayer, while other creatives uh, would say that they would just begin to allow um, their fingers to connect to the pen and the paper. And then other creatives said they would allow their fingers, they would rub their, fing- their thumb across their fingertips to get a sensation of energy for an awareness of something that's going to arise from with deep within inside of themselves. And then they would take out their iPad or their computer or their, their iPhone and they would let their fingers do the walking. Hmm. So I think it's, um, it's very important for everyone who wants to access and mind deeply into their own creativity is to embrace some rituals like sitting quietly in the morning, doing some writing in the morning. Um, Another thing that I found uh, by interviewing creatives is not only do they oftentimes listen to music as a way of entering into what they call the creative state, and of course, in meditation and hypnosis language, we refer to that creative state as somewhat like a hypnotic trance state, um, but most creatives just call it. They enter into that place where, for example, um, the songwriter James Taylor, he says, given enough empty time, the songs, they just show up. And he says, I've often said, it's an unconscious or a very mysterious process, um, my own type of songwriting. You're just waiting to hear it, and you have to be in a place where you actually receive the song more than at first that you generate it. And there's just something about it. It's almost like he says it's like a musical puzzle or a math problem. When you solve it, it's like you're being surprised by your own unconscious. And in that way, it's just an extraordinary, unparalleled delight. And so putting together these rituals and having structured ways where we get quiet and we wait to receive, the formality of participating in those structured rituals actually guides us to a much more intuitive and spaciously quiet and creative place. And one more thing, a couple of years ago, I broke my arm. I was out riding on a bicycle and some little boys walked in front of me. And so I had to make a quick decision. Do I wipe them out or do I wipe myself out? So I broke my um, right arm and I'm a writer. And I played sports with my right arm and I played guitar when I was in a group in high school with my right hand. 
And I've never really used much of my left hand, whereas my older brother was a lefty. And so while I was in the healing process, because I had to um, drive myself to the hospital right after I broke the arm and to physical therapy and x-ray, is I did it all with my left hand and arm. And I learned to brush my teeth with my left hand, put my belt on with my left hand. And that's a metaphor for getting out of your lane and beginning to learn to do things really differently, as you said earlier. Not only think differently, but I oftentimes say, if you want to be creative, learn to do things differently. And over the course of three months, I am now ambidextrous. Right before you called, I took the, the phone, put the headphones in to the phone with my left hand. That's thinking differently, but it's also doing differently. And the thing that occurs to me in, in terms of using that example is we need to have patience with that and feel that there, it'll be awkward and uncomfortable and messy. However, with staying with it, you've become so proficient. Yes. So patience, and patience also grows out of learning to meditate. And in the book, Core Creativity, I write a lot about how to practice mindfulness meditation, which anyone from any religious or spiritual uh, discipline or walk of life can learn to practice. And patience, I learned as a young boy in Catholic school in Boston that patience is a virtue, but that you have to cultivate uh, virtues. And so I was once um, speaking um, because he was a Zen meditator and I'm a Zen meditator, and so I was at a small gathering uh, at the late great poet and singer-songwriter Leonard Cohen's home mm. in Los Angeles. And as things happen, you end up in a corner sometimes at a party, and so Leonard and I were standing there together, and we were talking. And I said, um, so tell me, and I was just kind of being flippant, I bet you write really quick and fast. And he turned and he looked and he chuckled a bit. And he said, well, do you want to know how long it took me to write Hallelujah? Mm-hmm. And I said, and I was thinking, you know, like seven minutes, seven hours, seven days. And he said, seven years. And he said, it takes a lot of elbow grease and a lot of patience in order to really listen and to receive. And so I would suggest to everybody who's listening that whatever it is that you want to chart a new course or a new direction is to be patient with yourself, to be kind and compassionate with yourself, and to give time and attention in the same way a very good Zen gardener doesn't expect his garden after just one year of weeding, watering, and fertilizing it to be abundant and growthful. A good Zen gardener, a good farmer, they look out over many, many years of working with the soil. And the soil is also a metaphor. Um, On many of my trips to India, where I met with a lot of uh, saints and sages and various creative types, one of the things that was always suggested to me was to meditate on a lotus flower. So I would go to these lotus ponds, and all 
the most beautiful flower in India, this beautiful white lotus flower, it grows in a mud pond, which means that we have to immerse ourselves and in, in get messy into the mud of our creativity, you know, the, the mud of self. And that can include, for example, our own personal pain, emotional suffering, anguish or angst. Um, many creative people that I've worked with have lost a child uh, or a loved one, and then they've used that time, and I've encouraged them to use time of pain and loss and or lack of meeting to immerse themselves and get, get into the grit of that mud because the mud is really the metaphor of uh, the richness of our inner life and our inner creativity. So it occurs to me that this is where roadblocks might occur for us, where we might just feel, oh, I don't have time to be patient with that, or not wanting to kind of get into the muddiness of what you've just described, Dr. Alexander, that it's important to to really come to terms with this so that we can open up that creativity within us. Yes. And that's where um, the best way to work through a roadblock is to sit in front of the block. Once I had, um, when I was 28 years old, I had a dream, and I took it to my mentor, who was a gestalt therapy uh, therapist, and he was a painter, the late Robert Martin. And I had this dream where I was driving down this mountain road in Colorado, and all, all these giant boulders came down on, on the hillside. And my car was blocked. I wasn't able to continue in the dream. So I brought the dream in, and he asked me to get out of the driver's seat and sit on the hood of the car, metaphorically, and to meditate, because he knew I was a meditator. So he was kind of uh, facetiously playing with me. And so while I was doing this in his office and I was sitting on the hood of the car, Immediately, I had an epiphany, which was find a way to walk around the boulders. And so I looked uphill, and I saw a pathway in this dream therapy exercise, and I walked around the boulders and then kept on walking and got to my destination. So we have to use discipline and daily rituals and embrace some form of meditation as a way to overcome blocks and obstacles that we're met with when we're attempting to be creative. Blocks can always be understood as an obstacle, but there's a saying in Zen that the obstacle can become the way, that you can use the obstacle, you can embrace the obstacle to actually become the creative breakthrough so that any kind of breakdown or loss or experience of pain and suffering can eventually lead you to a creative breakthrough in thinking, in feeling or creating. So never see pain and suffering or never see um, a creative block as a dead end. The writer David Seltzer, in, uh, he wrote The Omen and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, the original one, many other um, movies, and he's a writer-director. 
he says, you need to embrace the block and make friends with it rather than attempt to push it or drive it away. And another, uh, lastly, uh, creative I interviewed in the book, Dennis Quaid, an actor and a musician, he said he learned when he was doing plays on Broadway, he would have a lot of anxiety in the stomach and a lot of stage fright. And he says you have to hold it, like squeeze that anxiety and that angst, squeeze it like a ball. And then by joining with it, he would bring the ball of anxiety from his stomach up into his chest, and then he'd walk on stage, and then he'd deliver all of that energy that was in that ball to the audience, as if he was like radiating it out. So it's really important that we embrace pain or suffering or even stress or anxiety as something that can become a creative force. I love it. I love all of what you've shared because it really shows how any of us can take any of these things we perceive as being so negative and form them for something that is creative and good and constructive and uh, moving us forward, but potentially, of course, moving the world forward. I so appreciate you, Dr. Alexander. We should let people know, of course, they can connect with you through your website or on Twitter, correct? Yes, uh, www.ronaldalexander.com, www.corecreativity.com. The name of the book is Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self. And I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Thank you so much. This was a real delight. Well, I have so enjoyed you, and I am so grateful for this work and for sharing your time with us this morning. Thank you so greatly.